You know, I grew up in a small town in Central Texas. You've heard me talk about that before. I also grew up as the only son of a single mom. Also remember those days of food stamps and potato soup and days where we weren't sure if we were going to have dinner or just wait till breakfast for a big meal. Been there, done that. I try to raise my family differently than that, but I also understand that there are ways of thinking from family legacy that tend to stay with you from one generation to the next. The way the parents think tend to be the way the kids think. The way the kids think tend to be the way the grandparents, the grandkids think. And, and so it goes on two, three, four, five, ten, ten generations. But I've also realized in the last decade or so that I've been studying human behavior and sociologies and, and cultures and leadership principles that not everybody in every family thinks like my family thought as I was growing up. And I have had, as a result, to change the way that I think. That's what I want to talk about a little bit today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. I remember when my daughters and I had the conversation about finding the right boyfriend slash future husband. I remember encouraging them to make a list of the things that they would want in an ideal spouse, the, the characteristics, the nature, you know, what would they look like? What would they act like? What would they talk like? What do they believe? What kind of things are important to them? What values do they have? And I honestly thought I was really cutting edge with that because I know growing up, I never got any kind of advice like that. But by the time that my girls were ready to move on and, and move out into the world, that was a beginning to be a new way of thinking for me. I had a pretty good idea that if you at least have an idea what you're looking for, at worst case scenario, you'll know what you're not looking for when you see it. Meaning if you stumble across somebody in your life and you're like, yeah, no, that, that's not what I'm looking for. I, I'm looking at my list of 20 and your character is not on any of those or your counter to all of those, then, then that's a problem. But I also didn't think as far forward as to ask, What's the destination or the futuristic look of my children? What, what do I think they're going to do with their lives? What kind of education will they have? What, what kind of jobs will they have? What kind of career fields are they going to go into? And as a result of that, what kind of spouse will they need? You know, I, I grew up in a, a little untraditional family. My mother was divorced and then widowed. And then she was widowed before I was 10. So... All of the years that I was growing up, many would have called her a stay-at-home mom up until that point. But then after that, she was the only breadwinner in the family until I got a job at 13. There, there was nobody else contributing to the family. And so it was a big deal that she was working all the time. And there were times she'd be gone two or three days at a time on her job. That was a little different than when I got married and we decided that the cost of childcare was more than my wife was capable of earning just because of the opportunities that were out there. Even though she had a degree, the ability to parent and pay for childcare and be home at a reasonable time and all of those things against each other just didn't work. It made more sense for us, for my wife to stay home and to be a stay-at-home mom and raise the kids. Now, I'm sure that drove her crazy at times because I would work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, sometimes with as many as three jobs to make sure that I was putting enough income in the bank to cover the bills 
while she was at home taking care of the kids and homeschooling them. That didn't really play into looking at the future to say, well, how will my children, my daughters and my sons, how will they navigate their education? How will they navigate their marriages? How will they navigate raising their children? What kind of lifestyle will they Will they move? I, I thought I was really forward thinking, like I said, just to give them a list of this is the kind of person you want to spend time with. I, I remember a couple of years back, though, my wife and I studied a program. It was called the Global Information Network. And one of the contrasts that we saw in this was that there was a list of things that, quote, wealthy people, the top 3% or 5% of the world, teach their children or expect of their children or demand of their children that everybody else in the world generally doesn't. Expectations about who you date and what kind of education they have and what kind of family did they come from and what kind of language did they use in the home and what kind of things did they talk about? You know, one of the people that I follow is Laurel Langmire and she was raised in the, in the farms of Wisconsin uh, on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. She grew up middle America or, you know, maybe working class America or less. But when she became a millionaire before her 30th birthday, part of what she set out to do was to raise a different family than she was raised in. She'd done a lot of things unconventional. But she said, you know, one of the habits that my family had that I absolutely refused to have is that we never say things in my household like we can't afford it. It's not in the budget. We're too broke for that. That's not for us. She said, we, we don't have those kind of conversations. If there's something we want or need, we ask ourselves, how can I afford it? When will it be in the budget? And that process of thinking alone is different. Recently, I've been watching a series, I've, I've mentioned it before here, on Netflix called Peaky Blinders. Now, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities about it, except as you watch the various interrelated family members and the brothers and their wives and the aunt and her male companions and, and how they fit in. It's amazing to see the integration of these outsiders, if you will. The family has a way of doing things. The family has a certain level of loyalty, a certain level of commitment. And even when they know what they're about to do is crazy dangerous, even when they know that what they're about to do is risky, the family's got a commitment to that to say, we're going to pull this off one way or another. We trust our leader to, to make a decision that as crazy as it might be, He's thought this out. He has a plan. And some of these plans are, well, they're nuts, but they're effective. And he tends to always land on his feet. So we're going to follow these plans and we're going to go with them as crazy as they seem. And yet, when they begin to date people outside the family, people from different backgrounds, people from different education levels, different societal levels, it's evident very quickly that they don't have the same kind of loyalties. They don't have the same kind of trust in the family leader. They don't believe that what he has declared he's going to pull off. And so there becomes this resistance that almost is like defiance. Now, I know from a scriptural standpoint, there's actually a, a theological framework, a cultural societal framework that are interwoven together. The Hebrews and the Egyptians didn't meld families well. The, the ancient times, even more so than today, family traditions are so drastically different, they're really hard to get together. I, one example, I remember, oh, it's been probably 10 years ago, I DJed a wedding, and the bride, her father, lived out in West Texas, at, well, Alito, 
right outside the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. But she's grown up all of her life. That family is well known for breaking horses for barrel racing. Well, you bring in a wild horse that's ready to, to be ridden and they don't want anybody on their back and they've got the power, and they've got the strength and they've also got a wild hair and they want to do whatever they want to do. This family is the family you would take this horse to and say, all right, train this horse to do barrel racing. And so this girl was very attuned to the wild, wild west, if you will. She knew horses, she knew cows and cattle and dogs and sheep and then the integration of them and how they re respond to each other. And her father had right there on their ranch, not only tons of horses, but a Brahma bull. Well, the guy she married was an attorney from a Jewish family in Manhattan, a family that had never left Manhattan. And I was there playing the music when I watched them climb off the luxury bus from the airport, the entire family on the groom's side. And the first thing they did was pull out their cell phones and cameras and walk to the fence line two feet from a Brahma bull so they could get a picture with him in the background. Now, this is not just a cultural thing. This is a life-threatening cultural thing. They didn't understand that this is not a zoo pet. This thing is here for a reason. He's here to train those horses that you better behave yourself and you better follow the instructions or you're going to get dead. And here are these people standing two feet from this Brahma bull taking pictures. Now, what does all that have to do with leadership? It has to do with this. Not understanding the culture that you're in or the culture that you're coming into is a dangerous environment. There's a reason that leaders have been successful in that environment, and that is that they mind the environment. They understand the cultural dynamics. They understand the familial dynamics. They understand the organizational dynamics. They understand who's a risk and who's not, who you can trust and who you can't, and who you need to treat with kid gloves and who you need to avoid with oven mitts and nuclear suits because there's nothing about them that isn't to toxic. When we think as parents of leading our children, it's one thing that they be obedient and compliant in their toddler phases because that's how you keep them out of harm's way. It's also important that as they grow from that toddler phase to the middle school age that you begin to give them enough autonomy to realize they're going to make decisions all on their own and some of them are going to have really bad consequences. Part of your job as a parent is to protect them from those consequences by helping them make good decisions. But as they transition from middle school into a young adulthood through that high school phase and into whatever formal education they'll do after that, part of our job is to allow them to consequence, to pay the price for stupid mistakes, to find the rewards of great decisions. And as we do that, part of that is finding a spouse for the rest of their life. That decision is so critical it will make the difference of whether or not your business succeeds. Back to Peaky Blinders. One of the guys in the, in the set of this family is the older brother. Today, he would probably be diagnosed ADD or bipolar disorder because he's got some mood issues. But he's kind of the family enforcer. He's the one that everybody outside the family is terrified of. They're like, whoa, just don't sick him on me because holy cow, he's dangerous. He's capable. He's competent. He's a monster seems to be under control of the family leader pretty well. He kind of does what he's supposed to in that framework. But that also means that if the family leader sicks this guy on you, you've gone too far. You're, you're going to have a lot to pay. But the bride that he chooses is a pacifist. She's a religious girl. Different religion than the rest of the family. Different 
familial culture than the rest of the family, different society level than the rest of the family. And her ambition after falling in love with him is to transform him into somebody entirely different, uh, to make him a softer guy, to make him a, a nicer guy, to make him a loving and lovable guy. Well, that doesn't suit the family very well at all, does it? Because his role in the family is different than that. His expectation in the family is different than that. His role in the family business is different than that. So now you have to ask the question, if, if I were raising my child to be a part of the family business and, and educating them on what the business looks like and what the expectations of the business are and what education they need, do they need to get an accounting degree or an engineering degree or a science degree? Uh, what would I need them to know from a knowledge base, from a skill set, to be an attribute to the business? Would you also ask, what kind of mate would they need to be able to move forward in that role when the time comes? Or will I simply lose them in the family business and that application of their skill set, that application of their talent, that what they've been brought up to do, that role is now missing because they found somebody else who's leading them away from this family environment. Now, see, the next challenge that goes along with that is if they're not going to be a part of the business as it's growing, do they still expect the same inheritance as someone who never left the business, who dedicated everything, including the mate that they decided to choose to spend the rest of their life with? Did they commit fully to the business? And if they did commit fully to the business, do they have a different inheritance or a different right to ownership as time goes on? See, all of these are the questions that where I grew up, just right next door to the trailer park, so to speak, and we didn't talk about those kind of things. We didn't own a business as a family then. We do now. We have different levels of investment in our family business. My, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, from the time she was 11, she has been able to set up the sound system, run the music, manage a wedding. If I fell and broke my leg, she could do everything that I do. By the time she was 15 or 16, she was perfectly competent at any one of those things. I could have left the wedding and it would have come off pretty close to the same. Not quite as strong on the mic, but pretty close. Now I have a son who's been doing it since he was 10 or 11 years old. He's got 12 years. He does events all on his own, packs up the sound system, shows up without me, does the whole event, runs the music, handles the microphone, makes the announcements, pack up the equipment and come back. At 22, that's not a bad side hustle. He's also an assistant manager at a parts store. But grooming them for the business is one thing. Asking the question, what is their real future? Is it in the business or is it something else? See, that's a whole different set of questions. And I just wonder as leaders, if you've taken the time, whether it's with your family or it's the people that you lead because you're mentoring them or you're coaching them, or it's the people you lead because you run an organization that they work with them, have you asked the question about their future? Not just what suits you, not just what's best for you, but what about their future, their personhood? in the future, their future career goals, their future educational goals, their future ambitions. Do you have any idea what their calling is or what their assignment is? Why are they even on the earth? What were they made for? See, as leaders, I believe we should be responsible for helping the people that we lead, especially our children, but even those that we lead who are outside of our familial bonds, 
to say, I want to invest in who you are, not just today, but in the future. I want to make sure that everything that I pour into you makes your future better, makes you a better person, that I contribute something to your life that you can look back on and say, I'm glad you were a part of my life. You've made my life richer. You made me think about things that I wouldn't have thought about otherwise. Oh, there's a drastic difference between the way the very wealthy people lead their children, the, the friends that they allow in the environment, the education that they're allowed to get, the cultural rules and expectations that they live under. Completely different than those of us who lived paycheck to paycheck. Those of us who wondered sometimes if there was going to be another paycheck. Those expectations are completely different. For many of us in the social class that I grew up in, it was, well, can I find somebody who'll go out on a date if the best I can do is McDonald's? There are others, other families that would say, I won't allow you to date like that because, well, look at their diet. They're not going to live very long. Or they're going to have cognitive disorders because of the way they eat now. Their eating habits and their lack of exercise, those are a warning sign to me as a parent that the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with may die young. Their risky lifestyle habits, their dietary habits, their relational emotional habits, they're, they're living a toxic life already. And that's not going to get better when you get married unless there's a drastic change in who they are. A, re a reasonable parent is going to speak into that. A reasonable leader is going to look at that same thing and say, well, maybe you want to leave this company and go over there because of the paycheck, but let me ask you some of these cultural questions. I want to close with a story. I, I left a company that I had uh, started working for in East Texas, and the manager of that company, the CEO of that company, a guy by the name of Bob Reese, we had our exit interview, and I said, you know, I'm, I know you guys are phasing out my role, and there's not really another role within the company, so... You know, I, I know you encouraged me 30 days ago to go find a job. I've got a couple of offers, and I'd just like to get your feedback on those offers. And so I, I gave him the two job descriptions, didn't tell him the companies that they were for, showed him the earning, earning capacities of each one of them. He read through the job descriptions, and then he said to me, in this one role, here's the challenge that I see for you. You're such a perfectionist. You're such... Your work ethic is so high, and when you lead other people, you tend to demand that of them as well, and most people can't live up to that standard. That's going to be hard. He said, I'm also going to tell you, though, that in that organization, the capacity to grow, you've only got one promotion, and then you're eye-to-eye -eye with the owner of the company. That's going to be a problem, too, because you can't put those kind of demands on an owner. He's going to let you go because you're intimidating him or threatening his position. That's that's a, a rough space to be. Now, it does seem like the earning potential is unlimited, but there will be people who are going to kind of sabotage that and steal accounts from you and things of that nature. You're, you should be cautious about that. Uh, also, I, I don't know how big that company is, but based on the job description, there's a whole lot of roles for you, which would lead me to believe it's a fairly small company. So your benefits, your time off, your vacation pay, the earning potential may be more limited than what they're telling you up front. Sounds like they've sold the job really well. I said, okay, what about the other one? He said, well, the other one, Looks like it's a big company, so it has kind of a corporate mindset. He said, here's my threat to you about, about that. Again, your work ethic, your work style is going to make you probably on par competence-wise with your boss from day one. The challenge with that will be there are going to be a lot of things that you're going to do that really shine and make you outshine the organization, and your boss is going to take credit for them and give none, none of that to you. 
They're also going to realize that because of your competence, you can take a lot of dings, a lot of demerits before it really affects you. You can take a lot of punches, so to speak. And so a lot of the negative they're going to dump on you because they know you can handle it and it's not going to phase you much. He said that that that's going to be a, a work environment. But he said that's going to be true of any major organization you go to work for. Uh, so you just have to mind that. He said, now, the reality is if you can stay home while your kids are young or stay close to home, not travel a lot, if you can get the, the big company job with the stable income and the promotions and the opportunity to grow and the bonuses and things of that nature, you'll have better benefits and you'll probably learn a lot in an environment like that if you can put up with the cultural manipulations. Well, I went with a big company. Overall, I was there almost 10 years and everything that he prophesied was true. I took hits for things that I didn't do wrong. I didn't get credit for things that I did do right. I worked with some people that would not allow me to be promoted because they needed to get theirs first. They wouldn't allow me to be recognized to be ready for a promotion because if I was promoted, they would never get one. I, I was told you can't be hired into that position because you don't have the right credentials or qualifications, even though the hiring manager wanted me in that position. And that was just the game that you played. But see, as a leader, what Bob did when he sat down and kind of gave me the forward looking of that. I didn't have a dad that had that kind of insight, who understood me well enough to, to point me in that direction, who understood the corporate world of how to play that game well enough to make those decisions. I didn't have anybody speaking into my life at that point who could have given me that kind of advice. If you're a leader and there are young people in your life that are thinking about getting married, they're thinking about moving from working under you to working somewhere else, they're thinking about their next career path or their next educational path. I believe in the parenting type of role of being a good leader, being a good mentor, being a good coach. You have a responsibility to future cast with them. You should be asking them where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 years from now, not selfishly asking how will they contribute to the family, to my legacy, to my, to my ongoingness. Forget about that. Now, if their family and they're committed to the family role or they're part of the company and they're committed to the company role. That's great. That's awesome. Prepare them for that. Educate them for that. Train them for that. Make sure they surround themselves with people who will benefit them in that growth and on that journey. But don't let your selfishness as a leader pigeonhole them by cultivating them into relationships that are non-productive, by cultivating them into future opportunities that only serve you, by forcing them or encouraging them to get an education that serves you and you alone and not them and their future. But while you're doing all of that, you need to ask yourself, what is their future intended to be? What are they made for? What are their gifts? What are their talents? What are their skills? Outside of the job that I use them for, what were they made for? What were they created for? And you need to realize there will be times that there are people only in your life for a season. And while they've been hugely beneficial to you, to continue to put them in the role that's convenient to you and destructive to them is not a service. Not to them, not to you, and not to the person that's waiting in the wings to be in the role you have this person in now. There may be somebody better that you're just not giving a chance because it's too easy to stick with what you got. Oh, I know this is a challenging talk today. And I know this has been a long talk today, but if you're a responsible leader and you have a parenting mindset in the way that you don't just take advantage of the people that you're leading, but you help them build a better future, you should be taking the time to speak into that.
and ask those questions. How can I promote you in your future and not mine? I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.